Welcome to Inside Independent Publishing. I'm your host, Christopher Locke, and I'm also the IBPA member liaison. All right, so one of the best ways to understand how to market your books is to understand consumers' buying habits. And everyone listening today is in luck because earlier in the year, the Panorama Project published an excellent report on this very topic. It was authored by Portland State University Director of Publishing, Dr. Rachel Norda, and Dr. Kathy Inman Behrens, who's also from Portland State University. The study was funded by Independent Book Publishers Association, Overdrive, the Book Industry Study Group, and the American Library Association. So this is a very illustrious group, if I, if I do say so myself. All right, so we are happy today to have our guest, Dr. Rachel Norda, hello. Hi, nice to be here. So I read this report and it's excellent. Uh, it re it does an, such a great job of laying out how consumers engage with books and then how libraries play a role in that and so many other things. I highly recommend people read it. I'm gonna put notes uh, in the sections where people are on the pages so they can see the whole thing, but it's also 78 pages long. So we're gonna do our best to go over as much as we can, but we certainly are not gonna go over everything. So, um, all right. So first off, uh, I, I just wanted to have you clarify something. The study is a doesn't just do people who buy books. So they're not just readers. I thought this was interesting. It actually does people who quote unquote engage with books. So I just wanted to see if you can explain what that means before we get into the findings. Absolutely. That was very important to us. Engagement here is defined as borrowing in a, and subscribing in addition to buying. And that's a book um, meaning a print book, but also an ebook or an audiobook, and in part or in whole. Um, why did we define this so broadly rather than just talking about readers or buyers? Well, because people use books for many different things, including when they're buying them. Some people buy books to display them or to collect them. Um, some people use books beyond for entertainment, like for work or school, or they dip in and out of books like Think of when you're using a cookbook and you're maybe using a recipe here and there, but you're not reading it from cover to cover, of course, like you would a novel. So to be able to capture all of those behaviors uh, we, and to really get an accurate snapshot of, um, of book engagement within the U.S., that's why we have defined engagement in this way. Um, and it led to some really interesting discoveries and findings. And, uh, and I think that's why the report uh, was able to do that in this way, because it defines engagement in a way that other reports um, hadn't been able to before. And just to throw this out there, I read cookbooks front to back as an adventure of all the things I'm going to eat. Just throwing that out there. Uh, all right. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's, let's talk about what you all discovered. Uh, what are some of the ways that people discover books? Yeah. So we asked a, many discovery questions, um, but the one I want to focus on right now is kind of the, the how of discovery. And uh, what's interesting about this is discovery is quite distributed. In other words, even the top category, which was recommendations from friends, uh, was only about 20% of the, uh, the respondents. So even the top category is only a fifth of, of the respondents to the survey. So there are many ways uh, to discover books, as we know, and um, many different ways that people are discovering books. So, of course, as people dive further 
into the report and into thinking about their own specific uh, genres and areas of publishing, um, you know, that, that will inform things. But um, word of mouth really is, is the, the headline here because um, it's recommendations from friends, recommendations from family, recommendations on social media that are top, and also favorite author. That was number two. Um, you'll, uh, we may talk about this more uh, throughout, but, but author is something that, that keeps coming up in the data. But yeah, uh, word of mouth is, is really something that kept coming up in the discovery questions. Yeah, the word of mouth thing was interesting because to me, it seems hard for a publisher to then use that as a like a way to market because it's literally just someone reads it, loves it and tells their friend. So, But are there ways that, that publishers can encourage this word of mouth thing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I will say we have to take, we need more data about word of mouth um, and we have to take this piece with grain of salt a little bit because, um, for example, you a consumer is going to need to have heard about a book or see a book several times before that word of mouth kind of comes to fruition. So you may think as you're reporting in the survey that you heard about a book from a friend, but actually you saw it on the bestseller list and you heard about it or, or you saw it, you know, in your independent bookstore in Powell's or, you know, you actually had these moments of seeing it first before the friend recommended it and you thought, oh yeah, I have heard about that book and because you are now recommending it and I trust your opinion, I will, I will read it or I will buy it. Um, so, you know, the, there's, there's been studies in other media talking about touch points, you know, whether that's five or seven, but, you know, how many times you need to see something um, in advertising to, before you actually make the purchase or the decision. Um, so that is something for, for publishers to keep in mind, um, because I, I agree, word of mouth is quite, um, quite nebulous. Um, so in terms of, you know, what, what is actionable. But one thing that I thought was really interesting in um, the data that we discovered is how networked things are in discovery and then buying. So in terms of actionable things for publishers, you know, think about how you can work with many different um, platforms and spaces for, for book buying. For example, you know, people are discovering something in a library and then buying it in a bookstore or um, discovering it online in a bookstore and then buying it in person in a bookstore. Or, you know, there's, there's a lot of this cross um, discovery in these different platforms. So really being able to have your content in these various areas um, and thinking about some of some of the other pieces, you know, we found interesting data about book piracy, about multitasking, you know, and so um, some of these can inform some of the actionable pieces too. Yeah, yeah. And I'm definitely going to get to the piracy thing. I think that was really interesting. Um, uh, but that that's a little taste. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. Uh, so I want to talk about where the, are the main places that people discover books because you all laid it out really well. 
Yeah, browsing bookstores is the top, and and the very top one uh, at about thirty percent is um, browsing online bookstores. Now we uh, within this category included Amazon, but also included you know any independent bookstore websites, BarnesandNoble.com, Bookshop.com, so um, uh, or bookshop, Bookshop.org, excuse me. So we we can't really separate um, you know how much of that is Amazon, for example. But yeah. Um, the online bookstore is first, and then the second uh, top category was browsing, but in a physical bookstore, which is kind of interesting. We gather data uh, both pre and during COVID. And of course, we're all now looking post-COVID at some point now that we're all getting vaccinated. So this will be interesting to see in the long term um, how that shakes out with browsing in person too. And then the third was uh, author event. Uh, in-person author events. So again, that theme of author comes up and, and events were really key there. And then the fourth was uh, browsing, but in public libraries. So browsing really was um, a theme there in uh, how discovery was was taking place, whether it was online bookstores, in-person bookstores, or in public libraries. Yeah. And it, you mentioned Amazon. So I wanted to bring that up because I think there's this, um, you know, assumption that Amazon's, you know, eaten all of the book buying customers from bookstores, but you all found some interesting things about that. Uh, so, like, can you explain, like, what, what did you find about people that browse online, but then there's something there with bookstores? Yeah, well, I, I mentioned earlier that it's more of a network, right? That people are, we call it context agnostic book discovery, basically that you're finding something in one place and buying it in another place. So the industry has talked for a long time about how um, independent bookstores have been storefronts, uh, showrooms for Amazon, right? How people are going into an independent bookstore, getting that browsing experience, and then just buying it on Amazon because it's it's cheaper, um, which, you know, seems very unfair. Uh, but actually we found about the same amount. So 44% of people do that, but 44% of uh, the respondents also do the, the other, the opposite where you are doing your discovery and your browsing in an online bookstore like Amazon, but then going to buy it in an independent bookstore. So that's interesting as well. And, uh, you know, some of the kind of curbside pickup and, you know, innovative sort of um, ways that independent bookstores have have still been able to to make some of that happen during the pandemic, I'm sure has helped with that. Yeah, I, I would say so. And, and <clears throat> it goes against that that logic. And that, that's was something interesting about this study was all the various things I saw where I was like, oh, I, I thought that would be a different answer. Um, so I wanted to ask then about because people do browse online uh, looking for books, uh, what are some ways that publishers can enhance their discoverability on these sites? On Amazon, particularly, or sure, Amazon, or you know, things like Goodreads and uh, Bookshop, and like you know, is there anything they can do that uh, that people can that publishers can do so that people when they're looking for books, their book will be something that'll come up. Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, genre is the top um, determiner of purchasing behavior. So when when people were asked. Uh, you know, what is what is the primary factor um, in, in your purchase, in your decision to purchase a book? Um, genre or category was 40% and that's, that's the top. Um, so 
thinking really carefully about how you're categorizing your book, even if you're thinking about about your titles as being cross genre, you know, uh, being as specific about that as possible. And that's in terms of BISAC codes and things like that, industry standards, but also, um, you know, thinking beyond BISAC. Um, but but wait, whether you're doing that within the the Amazon, uh, you know, system or your own website or, but really thinking about metadata. I think, you know, metadata is, is a real uh, key there because um, if you really want um, someone to discover your book and they are really going to be impacted uh, and persuaded by genre specifically, then you need to make sure that they really know what kinds of categories um, it, it fits within. So, um, I mean, that would be my uh, main recommendation. And then there's also kind of the author brand and platform, whether you are an author publisher yourself and, you know, thinking about yourself as the author or thinking about the authors that uh, you are representing and how you can further help them. Um, in that space, uh, again, you know, uh, it's the number, uh, favorite author is the number two um, top way that people discover books. It's the, it's number two in terms of um, purchasing decision, you know, to buy a book people choose because of favorite author. Um, in-person author events, as I said, was number three for um, place of where you're discovering books. So um, author juice just keeps coming up um, in that as well. So publishers, then it seems like really should focus on trying to get their authors to have a strong brand and to do these in-person events, maybe collaborate with a library or a bookstore, uh, because people seem to really, they like when they get attached to an author, then they're like, oh, I want to read that author stuff. And they, they kind of follow that person. So that does seem from, from the report, like you said, to be the thing where it's like, okay, we need to really think about this. Um, and then uh, I guess building a strong brand, that's probably things like, you know, things on social media. And, um, you know, I mean, do you have any other suggestions for how you can, you know, get the author out there so people can then discover them? I guess, you know, doing interviews and things like that, too. Sure. I mean, I think building an email list, um, whether that's the publisher doing that or the author, um, you know, a lot of authors are really successful with building an email list and having a consistent newsletter, especially if you're in a, a particular genre, you know, like romance that can really uh, thrive in that space. Um, and that can be a good space to, to try some things out, like try um, some say strategic giveaways uh, uh, and things like that, that can also help you gather some data about your consumers. I mean, one of the reasons, of course, why we gathered this research was particularly because there's such a lack of data in the industry, but um, also it, it, it's hard for publishers um, because often they don't have a lot of data about their own um, readers. You know, you get data from your distributor or from Amazon, but it, it's usually through kind of these filtered uh, systems and to have that direct relationship as much as you can, especially via an email list can be really valuable, you know, to be asking your customers what they're, um, what they're interested in, um, you know, what they think about, um, this or that and, and really getting feedback um, can also involve them in the process. There's a lot of talk about social media and uh, you did find that one third of respondents said they do post their reviews, recommendations of books on social media. But I was surprised that um, 
there was a lower percentage who said they discover books through social media. So that it's like people are saying, hey, recommend books. But then you have people that are like, yeah, but I don't go on social media to find what I should, you know, get. And then you're like, well, that doesn't seem to because then who No, I mean, because word of mouth was supposed to be something that was popular. Right. So is social media then not considered worth a word of mouth. I'd say if someone posts something on social media and it says, yeah, this book's great. I mean, I personally would be like, OK. And if I see that enough, I go, wow. A lot of people are saying this thing's great. Yeah, it, we were surprised too. I will say it depends on kind of the sub demographics that you're looking at too. So um, for example, millennials and black and Latinx um, respondents um, rated, like uh, discovered more through um, social media uh, recommendations than did the general survey population. So there was still a disparity, but the disparity was not uh, as great. But I think it does show that there's just, there's a lot of noise on social media. So you have to be really strategic about it. Um, and, and that social media can contribute to word of mouth, but maybe, um, you know, you, you need to kind of, again, those several touch points um, where social media, um, especially if it's not hearing it from social media from a friend, but just, you know, someone you kind of know or from an influencer or something like that, then that might plant the seed of the book within someone's mind, but then it's not later until you hear a family member recommend it, or, you know, you see it again at, at, in some particular place that then you actually go to act upon that thing. Um, so I, I wouldn't say, you, you know, this certainly isn't to say, yes, disregard of recommendations on, on, on social media, but, um, but, uh, really being authentic about that and, and knowing who your audience is and, and, and um, you know, rather than just posting um, and kind of, you know, putting a lot of noise out there, there, there is a lot of, a lot of noise out there. Um, and I think a lot of recommendations that just kind of fall flat, um, especially from publishers. That was another thing that, that, um, you know, came up in our discovery data is that, uh, readers aren't really looking to publishers for recommendations necessarily. And again, we know that um, author brands are much stronger than a publisher brand. Um, although, you know, depending on what your niche is, you might, you might have a stronger publisher brand. So that, that's another thing to think about. Maybe if you're thinking about um, giving recommendations via social media, then you push your author to be doing those sorts of things rather than having it from, you know, the publisher and, and you think strategically about um, other ways that the publisher might be promoting the book via social media, you know, maybe with making those connections with booksellers and libraries to, to have those author events rather than just, you know, uh, saying, yes, read this book. Yes, read this book. <laughs> so the, you talked about some age and stuff. So I wanted to get to that. So the respondents that you uh, interviewed were from different age groups, from different U.S. regions, and from different racial and ethnic groups. So I wanted to, to kind of break down some of the, the, the more popular ones. So 
Uh, what was the age group that you all found had the most avid media engagers? Millennials, definitely. I will say we didn't, we, we have a very brief section on Gen Z in the study, but the reason why we did not uh, focus on that is because all of our respondents had to be over 18. There's um, ethical issues with uh, surveying um, children and anyone who's under 18. So, um, you know, there's more to explore with Gen Z, but but we couldn't we couldn't do as much of that as we wanted. But millennials, um, which we're categorizing and looking at as kind of the 18 to um, 34 category, um, they uh, were more avid, uh, you know, in, engaging with more books per month in in every format. They were multitasking more um, for, for again, uh, across all formats. They were describing more cross-media. Um, so, you know, uh, finding a TV show that they liked and that discovery would lead to a book, for example, or, you know, game to book or game to TV show, uh, you know, just a lot of overlap in, in that way. Um, they did have a lower percentage of um, library card holders, but also um, were borrowing more from the library. So that was kind of interesting. And that might have to do with the fact that they are more ethnically diverse. Um, and this is just true of the U.S. overall. Um, older generations within the U.S. are, uh, are more white, uh, whereas uh, younger generations like millennials um, are, are more ethnically diverse, have more people of color. Uh, so, and, and we have seen that some of the, the groups within um, uh, non-white categories like um, Latinx um, have really low, much lower um, library card um, holding um, percentages. And, you know, some of that might have to do um, with other complicated things like, um, you know, being worried about um, immigration status and, you know, needing a, a driver's license or, or something for getting your library card and all of those sorts of things. So, yeah. And so now that we're talking about race and ethnicity, what were the most avid book engagers based on race and, race and ethnicity? Black and Latinx. Um, yeah. So 67 percent of um, black respondents were avid book engagers and 59% of um, Latinx. And to just so you kind of have a comparison, 50% of, um, of white uh, respondents were, were avid book engagers. So that kind, of, that kind of shows you. And we're defining avid book engagers as those who engage with four or more books per month, um, which is a lot of books. I mean, that's, that's 48 books per, per year. So um, th this is, yeah, this is uh, quite a lot of a lot of books. Yeah. And so, I mean, the publishing industry, unfortunately, is notoriously like not good at catering to that audience, uh, I think, because of systemic racism. So I think that a study like this shows there's a market out there. You should be catering to them, not just because it's right, but also because th they're there. They want to buy books. They want to engage with books. And uh, I think it's, you know, it's disappointing that they're not doing more to engage with that audience. But hopefully this study and, and others will show get on that, you know, like that is, that is a market that you should also be catering to. I absolutely agree. That was one of the most exciting findings of the study. And I hope that people will continue to kind of dig in more and, um, and find, you know, some of the specifics for how to reach um, and how to kind of layer some of the data, you know, so if you're uh, a publisher who does um, 
cookbooks and you're also wanting to reach um, a Latinx audience um, in the you know Southwest to, to then kind of layer the regional data, the racial data, um, and the, the genre data that we have within the study to be able to find um, ways to be able to, to do that. Um, but we did find in general, you know, um, comics, graphic novels, and manga were much higher with our, our Black and Latinx respondents, as well as um, young adult um, was, was much higher with um, those respondents too. And um, covers mattered more to them. And, you know, I, we hypothesized that that might be because they don't see themselves in covers um, as much as white respondents do. So um, some things for publishers to think about, certainly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's switch to another topic, uh, piracy. Um, so this was really interesting to me. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm an author publisher, so the idea of someone stealing a book, you know, bothers me because I don't think people realize it takes thousands of dollars and years of your life to write and publish, and then someone's like, hey, I'm not gonna pay $2.99 for this. And you're like, what? what, That you just stole my life. So, uh, but you all found some very interesting things about people that pirate books. So I, I was fascinated by their buying habits. So, so tell us a little bit about like, if, you know, even if they pirate, what are their buying habits then? Yeah, and I will say, it should bother you that, that pirates are pi pirating, but I think the, approach in the past and the um the way that pirates have been dealt with in the in the past in the industry hasn't been working <laughs> um people still are, are are pirating and so we need a better approach and we need more data about them and that that was what we were aiming for so what was interesting that we found is that pirates are buying books they're subscribing to books they're borrowing books from the library and they're doing all of those things in higher percentages than the general survey population so they're quite they're quite avid um, and it's very interesting that they are buying books so it's not that they aren't willing to buy so the question is what will make them buy and I think that is really the important question that could you know turn could be the turning point to, you know, how do we get pirates to become um, a paying consumer in this particular you know context where, uh, and I will say that we are defining and, and thinking about pirates in, in our study as individuals. These are individuals who are, are downloading, you know, content that they should be paying for that isn't public domain, um, you know, and that's illegal, um, but they are not like, uh, individuals or, or organizations who are doing so to make profit and in a large scale sort of way, that's a different sort of, um, of thing uh, that this doesn't address. Yeah. And so you all gave some tips then like ways that you can help publishers can like kind of curb pirating um, by engaging with these uh, quote unquote pirates. So uh, do you, can you share some of those to help stop them from wanting to steal? It's interesting that pirates are also avid fans. Um, so that's where I think um, author publishers and independent publishers really have an opportunity maybe to engage with them. Um, you know, for example, they're reading and uh, downloading fan fiction at twice the rate of the normal, um, of the general survey population. So, you know, that that's quite interesting. They, they find something that they like and they really go for it. They also are um, buying books in multiple formats. So they're not just 
you know, buying the print copy, but then getting it in ebook or and or audiobook. Um, so it might also be an access thing of like they they want to be able to read it in this context, but also you know on their phone when they're on the train or um, those sorts of things. So um, there's lots of things to think about. But for for publishers, um, sampling might be something to consider and 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 strategic giveaways. So um, you know if if part of it for a pirate uh, is the the kind of risk or you know unknown of I'm not sure if I should um, risk even the very small amount of two ninety nine on or and the time investment of reading this book. Um, then, you know, ha- um, being able to um, engage with them via uh, giveaways and things so that um, you can also gather data about them, get an email address, you know, start to um, uh, be able to control that sampling rather than, you know, having them go elsewhere to find things for free. Um so that that was one of our our recommendations, and and that's also a way to gather data about them because we need more data. So kind of like embracing and becoming friends with the pirates versus making them enemies. Correct, because we need to turn them into buying customers. <laughs> right, and you you get more. What is it like? You get more like flies with honey or whatever it is. Um, okay, good to know. Uh, I will become friends with the pirates. All right, so let's finish off with uh, libraries. Uh, so there's this concern, the same thing we were just talking about pirating, uh, but there's this concern that like you lose sales uh, with libraries because, well, people can just get the book for free. Uh, but you all also found some interesting things about that concept too. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I do want to start by saying, um, in, in following up from our, our piracy discussion, I think libraries are actually a, a, another way to help combat piracy because libraries are paying for books. I mean, those books are not free. Uh, readers see them as free because they, they get to borrow them for free, but libraries are paying for them. So publishers and authors are still getting compensation while there is some free access. So there's actually some more opportunity there. But what we found about people who were borrowing from libraries is that they are also buying books at a, at a higher rate than the general survey population. So, um, you know, it, it kind of dispels this myth that if you're able to borrow books for free, that you won't buy books. Um, really, it just means, you know, people who borrow from the libraries really like books. They, you know, they're going to borrow them and buy them. And that that makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the things we also found is that when uh, a book is unavailable from the library in someone's preferred format, um, the, the top thing that they'll do is put themselves on the hold list. But the next two things that they'll do is buy it from a bookstore. So either from an online bookstore, that's number two, or from a local bookstore. So, um, you know, again, it's this network thing where, okay, if it's unavailable from the library, that can also drive to sales. So um, it's all a bit connected. Yeah. And that's one of the great things about your study is these things that people, I don't, I don't know how these things start, but maybe just from common misconceptions and people think, well, this is the way things work. You know, people that pirate books don't buy books or people that go to libraries don't buy, you know, and it's great that this study shows, no, that, that actually is not always the case. And in fact, things like libraries are a great way to discover books, like to make people want to buy more books. So uh, that's why I love like reading your findings because, you know, there were things I thought and things that are so commonly, uh, you know, misperceptions. I was like, well, this is great 
to dispel those myths. Um, so we're, we're, we're getting close to the end of the time. So I wanted to see, is there anything that from the report that you were like, oh, I was hoping we'd talk about that today that you thought was really fascinating? Oh, um, you know, multitasking was was quite interesting. Um, we, we expected that there'd be high multitasking with audiobooks. People like to, you know, walk or, or exercise while listening to audiobooks and, and commute. And, and we knew that especially from, you know, info from the Audio Publishers Association. But what we didn't expect was how high it would be for ebooks. About 60% of, of people are um, multitasking while they are reading ebooks. And then um, about a third are multitasking while reading print. So, um, you know, I just think that's, it, it says something about how media consumption is happening, including with books in our current environment. And in terms of how that relates to, you know, publishers, it's maybe something to think about in terms of the, um, the content you're creating, just to know that, you know, people in their busy lives are dipping in and out of content um, rather than having time to like immerse themselves um, in a, a story kind of in the same way that I don't know, maybe they might have at, uh, in some past bygone uh, space. When they were reading by um, candles or something. <laughs> right, exactly. Who knows if that ever was a time that existed. But, you know, these days you might be, you might have a print book that you're reading while at your son's ball game, right? Or um, maybe your whole family is watching a movie and you're also reading a book on your Kindle while they're watching <laughs> a movie because you're really not that interested, right? Like we're all kind of doing multiple things all the time. Um, and so anyway, I just, I think that's a really interesting thing to keep in mind. Yeah. I mean, that's so weird. I mean, I'm the type of person, like if I want to, if I need to focus, I need it to be quiet. Like I need to be in some echo chamber that has no noise or else I can't focus. So it's interesting that like someone could read a print book and be doing other things, you know, okay, great. I mean, if they're able to, you know, consume it somehow, that's great. But that's I can't relate at all. Um, so that's very interesting. Um, so I, I want to recommend people read the whole report because we did our best to cover a lot. But, you know, as Dr. Norder knows, I mean, it, this thing is like has so much uh, that's helpful in it. So, again, I'll include links uh, wherever you, you find uh, about this the podcast. Um, so I hope we work with you again, cause this was great. Um, and I think we have actually, I think we've worked with you on, on uh, multiple things. Um, so, uh, and one thing I wanted to mention, and we talked a lot about libraries. So, uh, IBPA does have multiple programs to get your books into libraries. Uh, so make sure to go to ibpa-online.org and, uh, check out about those. Uh, Dr. Nord, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Uh, your, this study is fascinating and so helpful. So thank you for taking the time to do it really. Absolutely. It's been a joy to be on. I, a few years ago, um, came to my first uh, pub U uh, to do a presentation and um, have just like loved being kind of tangentially connected to um, IBPA since I so enjoy the work that you all do. So thank you. You are an honorary member. We appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Check out the full report. And thank you again, Dr. Nora. We very much appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks.